Hi, Victoria. Sorry, I was. Uh, come, come up. How are you? Hello. Wanna come up? To oh, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. The room looks great. We got the link and the topics. So fancy. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, so, yeah, I emailed with the. Oh, there you are. Hi, Ting. How are you? Uh, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for making it. Um, so to unmute, uh, so that we can hear you is on the right hand on the bottom of your screen. There's a microphone button. So if you press on it, you, you are unmuted and yeah, perfect. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. So yeah, meet Victoria. She's, uh, our co-moderator here and um yeah thanks for coming we'll wait a few more minutes um and then give people time to arrive and then i'll introduce you and victoria ask a few questions and then the stage is yours that is that good yeah sounds great thank you just curious um, are most people uh on the east coast uh, I'm not sure. I think a lot are also on the West Coast. Okay. I'm on the Got West it. Coast. How was your day so far? Everything good? Yep. Everything's good, busy. It's actually, um, I mean, Chicago. So today we actually have some sun came up. Oh, nice. Um, we've <laughs> been having very raining, cloudy day for the past several days. So that was, that was nice. We had rain today, but in the end of the, the afternoon, it it start, stopped raining. So we went outside a little bit. We have like this first cherry blossoms coming out. So that's nice. And some other first flowers. It's exciting to see always. Hello, everybody. Hello, doctor. How are you today? Hello. Hi, me. Hi, Hello. How are you, Katrina? Hi, Serena. Oh, hi, Serena. Hi. I wasn't seeing because I'm doing other things, so I don't see the screen. <laughs> That's why I just leave myself unmuted. And sorry about that. Yeah, let's um maybe Plus wait a is it okay. okay? Wait one more minute, or we can we can chat a little bit. I just wanted to say ahead of time, Dr. Ling, this is a, a a topic near and dear to my heart, and I've been pondering um, carbon negative uh, production chains for and material uh, chains for for some time. So I'm very interested in hearing your work. It's great to hear. Thank you. 
So same sentiment as Serena. Yeah, I think um, cli everything climate change related is something that we all should should be very interested about. But um, yeah, so um, I think we can start and then we can always refresh the room if people come in later. So um, yeah, welcome everyone to the Science Society. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm very excited to introduce you to Dr. Ching Liang. She will talk about her really interesting, also I think very important research today. And let me introduce you to her a little bit. <clears throat> so she um, did her bachelor's degree in biochemistry at the National Taiwan University. And then later she did her PhD <clears throat> at the University of Birmingham um, in the UK. And um, she is currently working at Lanza Tech Inc. Um, in, the, in the US. And she's there, um, the director of strain engineering at Lanza Tech. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to um, have you here and um, because you know your research seems to be very interesting and I'm excited to hear more about it but I'll give the microphone to Victoria to ask you like a couple of questions I had thank you thank you thank you for the introduction and thank you for uh, the invitation uh, to give me this chance to talk about Lenser Tech's work and uh, introducing to you about Lenser Tech. Um. Hello, thank you so much for being here. As Katarina said, we are so excited and and have tremendous respect for your work. And it's not here too soon. Um, if it's okay with you, I would just like to ask you a few questions because we have your we have the abstract of your research and it's so exciting i was especially well besides the carbon neutral aspect reading about anything about fermentation i think is fantastic because you know it's the world will belong to microbes and and we learn more about how gut microbes are responsible for things like mental health and you know, it's just, it's just really exciting. I, I think your research is just, um, it's broad reading the abstract. And I think there's something in there for everyone to latch on to. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a background of maybe when you discovered your love for science or your passion for science, and then how you found your way to the research that you're doing now. And, and that can be as narrow as you'd like to make the answer to. So thank you so much. Thank you for the questions. Um, earlier, Katarina was uh, was asking whether or not it's okay I answer about how I become scientist and uh, into this field. And then, um, you know, it made me pause a little bit because I really didn't thought really hard about it. It's definitely not by design. That's something I have to say. Um, it was not something I thought about um, when, when I grew up. Um, but the topic, what I want to 
do study research on uh, is by my choice. Um, so early on, I um, when I grew up, I really like biology related topics. I like to go to rule. I like to, you know, watch the um, TV programs about animals and um, plants. Um, studying microbiology is actually a, a slightly jump from where I earlier on in my life was thinking I, I, I would do. I always thought that I would do something with animals or, or plants related uh, studies or, or, or careers. Um, it's, I guess, um, can you still hear me? My yes, screen went dark, it. so I was <laughs> not sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess as I, I grew up, as I, my, my love with biology, and then um, in the 80s and 90s, there's more and more of this environmental, you know, problem came up. Um, uh, I think that that was early on of people thinking about climate change and uh, greenhouse emissions. Um, and uh, I started thinking that if I could do something, um, do some kind of study that would help with that kind of situation to resolve climate uh, change, you know, uh, reduce greenhouse emission. That would that would be something I I would like to do, and I I had a chance um, to um, get into study microbiology a little bit more to understand how diverse um, the the these single cell microorganism can be they can they can live in you know such a different environment very very hot very cold um no oxygen with oxygen or or live in hot streams anywhere you can find them you can find them in your gut anywhere in the soils um so i i, I was fascinated and so that's why i did decided when i uh, apply for my graduate uh, studies, uh, I went to join uh, Nigel Brown's lab. Um, that was a little bit on uh, bioremediation bio side of the microbiology. I'm trying to understand how bacteria detoxify mercury. Um, so that's 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 how I, you know, get into the field and um, started my science career. Um, and then later on, after I um, received my PhD, I joined Derek Lovely's lab uh, at UMass um, in Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, where we study um, geobacter self-reducence, which is an obligate anaerobe. Um, the early on, it was isolated uh, in the uh, underground soils and um, early on it was identified that uh, it can be used for uran uranium bioremediation. It's uh, another fascinating microorganism where uh, it actually can reduce iron, iron 3 to iron 2. And uh, when the iron, iron is being reduced, uh, from iron two, and then if there's any uranium six uh, around in the area, it can then be reduced to uranium four, which is soluble in water, and then you can pump out the water. That's how original the uranium uranium 
remediation idea was um, uh, was thought out. Um, that's also interesting. Another part is um, because it's a uh, iron reduction, iron three is insoluble. It's not like oxygen that can go through double cell membranes. Um, so that means electrons has to go outside of the double membrane to reach iron oxide to be able to reduce it. And so that uh, slowly developed into the other field, which is microbial fuel cells area of studies. And so I was mostly focusing on um, molecular biology aspects of understanding the iron reduction mechanism of uh, geobacter self-reducens. And so that that's my sort of PhD, uh, postdoc, and uh, scientist research. And then I joined Lensatech to work on how to convert waste gases into valuable products. So that's, that's a sort of my path. Thank you so much. I, I'm sure all of us really appreciate the detail. It's it's helpful when we're listening to to the research to hear about you know what got you there, what what ideas led you, and it's a beautiful thing that you were able to to um, you know, take part in research that was in alignment with something that wasn't really important to you in life. So thank you. And if um, I'll turn it back over to you, Katarina, and and um, if you would like, um, Ching, if you would like to start um, delivering your research, we're happy for that as well. Yeah, yeah, please um, go ahead. Thank you. Okay, um, so um, I just want to say thank you again. Thank you for this chance to talk about uh, Lensatex work. And um, I also want to say, I think you guys are really great. And I think you are very enthusiastic about science. Like I can't imagine come back to come back home after work and, and then jump on the app, talk about science for, you know, another hour. So I, I, um, I think you guys, what, what you guys are doing here is really great. Um, so, um, I don't know how much, uh, you all know about, heard about Lensatech. So maybe I think I, instead of just jump into the paper directly, maybe I'll uh, speak about Lensatech background a little bit. And so that uh, you guys can have a little bit more understanding on um, the carbon smart technology and on, on gas fermentation. How does that sound? Thank you, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> I think that the pathway that, that makes the most sense in your mind will also make the most sense in our mind too. Okay, okay. So um, I also want to say this is a very interesting format. Normally I have a set of slides, so it's more visual. I can show you pictures. So I'll uh, just bear with me. I'll try to describe it. And then if, if anything's not clear, uh, feel free to uh, stop me. Let me explain more. Um, so let me talk about um, just to, just a quick oh go ahead oh, yeah. just a quick just uh, for Dr. Liang uh, we do have the paper linked at the top of the room and so uh, the audience is uh, able to see while you're talking so you can refer to figures and and um, and, 
and so forth. So feel free to okay. jump into the research. Perfect. Um, so I'll just talk really briefly about gas fermentation. Um, I believe you all drink beer or wine, right? So yes. beer or wine are fermentation products. Um, but uh, they are sugar fermentation products. So you uh, have yeast and you give yeast some sugar and then yeast to produce ethanol. Um, so the core um, of Lensatec's carbon smart technology is gas fermentation. And we are using acetogen. It's a micro, it's an obligate uh, anaerobe. Uh, that uh, we actually, instead of feeding sugar, we're feeding these microbe waste gases. So these microbe can take up carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, and hydrogen as their food and energy, food and carbon and energy, and turn that into ethanol. So that's the core of Lensatex te technology is our acetogen microbe and using waste gases. And where can you find these waste gases? You can find them in uh, steel mills. You can find them in all industrial plants. We can also use gases that's derived from uh, solid municipal waste or agricultural waste. Uh, on top of that, we can also use gases directly, um, CO2 directly uh, coming from air, from pollutions, um, and adding green hydrogens uh, into our, for, to make ethanols. So Lensatec te technologies already being commercialized. We, currently we have two commercial plants running uh, in China. Our first one uh, started in 2018. So it's been four years now. And our second round uh, commercial plan just started last year. And so far we have successfully abated about 160,000 tons of CO2 from air and turn that into ethanol. And uh, in this year, 2022, we have about another five plants uh, will be uh, finished uh, construction and start running. So that's that's uh, that's where we are with Lensatec. There's also some other uh, collaborations we, we did with, for example, Lululemon with Zara using ethanol converted chemicals to make clothes materials to make uh, cosmetic containers. Um, and we also uh, converted our ethanol into jet fuels. And we actually did, in 2018, did a cross-Atlantic uh, flight using these, uh, using uh, the jet fuel that was converted from our carbon smart ethanol from uh, flying from Orlando to London Gatwick. So that's uh, the ethanol stories that's use, using our wild type Clostridium uh, uh, autoisanogenum to make ethanol. So this paper um, is focusing on um, 
acetone or IP, isopropanol uh, IPA production using genetic modified micro CO2. Klaus 3DM auto is an agenum. I uh, we abbreviate as CO2, so it's just easier. Or I just call our our bug. <laughs> um, so so that so uh, so now we can move on to how we genetic modify our uh, wild type CO2 into acetone and IPA production strain. Um, so I don't know if you uh, are familiar or not, uh, the ABE fermentation, ABE stands for acetone butanol ethanol fermentation. It was actually a, a, um, identified in the uh, late 19th centuries that uh, uh, sugar eating is also a clostridium species, but they cannot metabolize gases as their food. They have to eat sugar. So these sugar eating clostridiums can uh, ferment sugar and make acetone, butanol, and ethanol. And this process is uh, actually being commercialized and it's, it's only way of making acetone during World War One and World War II, uh, acetone can be used as a precursor for uh, ammunition. So that was uh, at the time the only method of it, of making acetone. So um, we took these natural acetone production pathways um, that's originally identified in these sugar fermenting clostridiums and we put them into our gas eating clostridiums and we start to doing pathway optimization, strain optimization, and then scale up the process into a hundred liter um, piloting reactors to see how well we can scale up this process. Um, so that's sort of the um, three major aspects that I like to walk you through about our paper. So the first part is pathway optimization. We identified all different gene variants from a DJ collections. So these so let me, sorry, let me back up a little bit. Um, during that World War I and World War II, when uh, the acetone production was using sugar fermentations, there's a lot of a big commercial plants uh, with uh, some different strains that can also make a uh, different amount of acetone IPA. So there's this, so there's a strain collection. There's about over 400 different strains that was collected. All these strains can make spores. So that's easy to uh, store them for a long time. Uh, we, Lensatech actually own the collection of all these strains and with DGI's help, we get all these over 300 strands sequenced. And then we look into 
the enzymes that can um, make um, uh, within that pathway to make acetone. So uh, to make acetone, then well, from gas to acetone, first of all, the gas is com being converted into acetyl-CoA. And that's through the oolong pathway. And that's very specific to CO2. And from acetyl-CoA, then we borrow this acetone pathway from sugar clostridiums. And this is a three enzymatic step uh, from acetyl-CoA to acetyl-acetyl-CoA and converted to acetoacetate to acetone. So uh, this is thiolase for the first step Co-transferase and then acetoacetate decarboxylase. So these three enzymatic steps. So with these collections, we did a lot of gene mining and we uh, fish out these three enzyme variants. So the first step we did is we mix up these three enzyme genes. We we did a library contain different combinations of these gene variants and we put them into CO2 and we test for which combinations of these three enzymes produce the best uh, acetone in CO2. So that's uh, figure two of the first step when we do pathway optimizations to do gene mining and identifying the best combination. And with, th with this library, we uh, constructed about 250 different constructs of uh, different variants. And um, at the end, we can see at least 20 times increase in acetone titer. Okay. And so I'm going to focus in on acetone first, and then I'll talk to the IPA story later. I forgot to mention is why is that? Because um, to make IPA, we only need one extra enzyme, um, a secondary alcohol dehydrogenase that, to that can convert acetone to IPA. So a lot of work that we did to make acetone or IPA the only difference is just adding back that one uh, extra enzyme. So when we identify the best acetone pathways, the next thing we did is to optimize the strain. Um, so CO2 natively produce ethanol. It also natively produce some acetate and 2,3-BDO. So, uh, we cannot remove acetate because uh, in our second step of converting acetyl-CoA to acetone, that enzyme requires acetate uh, to go uh, into that reaction. So we cannot remove acetate, but we can remove two, three BDOs. We also can reduce ethanol production to a certain extent. Um, so on figure three, apart from knocking out these native pathways to increase the acetone productions. What we surprisingly find 
was when we put these acetone pathways into the CO2s, this extra peak in our HPLC chromatograph, and later identified its 3-HB, 3-hydroxybutyrate. So we did a little bit of genome mining to trying to figure out where does this 3-hydroxybutyrate uh, is coming from. So um, you, if you have the paper, you can look at figure three on the left-hand side. We actually figure out that uh, because acetyl-CoA cellulase converting acetyl-CoA to acetyl-acetyl-CoA, the first enzymatic step, there are some other native enzymes can convert acetyl-acetyl-CoA to 3-HB-CoA and then to 3-HB. And from our second step, intermediate, there are also some other enzymes that can convert, directly convert acetoacetate to 3-HB. And so with the gene mining, we actually identify three possible, 13, 13 possible um, enzymes that can carry out these set reactions, converting acetone pathway intermediates to 3-HB. So that's also diverting carbon away from the products that we want to make. But for 13 genes, it's a lot of genes to, um, you know, to look at, to knock out one by one. I also forgot to mention that um, the Clostridium autoestinogenum acetogen that we worked with for the gas fermentation, um, actually about a decade ago, it's still considered genetically incheckable. Um, so the past 10 years when uh, we started working on this um, microbe, we actually have to develop a lot of the genetic tools in-house to be able to, you know, knock out and knock in genes. And also it's an anaerobe, so that uh, we have to work in anaerobic chambers. We have to, uh, you know, get rid of the oxygen, otherwise the, the cells will not grow. Um, so making one knockout still take about four to six weeks not to mention if we have to knock out 13 genes just to get rid of 3-HB. So instead of doing knocking out one by one, uh, we collaborate with our collaborator, Mike Jewey, Professor Mike Jewey um, at Northwestern Universities. Um, we introduced the cell-free system, uh, which, is which is greatly speed up um, the process to identify which genes are actually involved in, you know, involving the site reactions, diverting the carbon from acetone to 3-HB. So what, uh, what his group did was to first express the acetone pathway genes um, in the soup. The soup contain all the cell, the cell lysis so that it will have uh, enough reducing agent, ATPs and all necessary stuff in there, but it's, 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 it doesn't have the uh, cell membranes. 
And then with that soup and with the acetone pathway in, and then he knows that uh, this soup with acetone genes can produce acetone. The next step he did was to add the 13 um, gene, the enzyme, the protein product into the acetone uh, self-realizes with the acetone pathway one um, enzyme at a time. And then he identified which one when he ate into the acetone soup actually reduced acetone production. So the one that reduced acetone production is the one that we can focus in on to knock out. And so he actually identified uh, four out of the 13 that affects acetone, decreased acetone production. And next thing we look at, we look at all these 13 genes expression level in, um, in the background of our acetone producing strain. And we identified three of them are actually being highly expressed in our microbe, and one of them is not really, de in, the protein is not in de detectable levels. So we actually go forward knocking out these three genes one by one. And on the right-hand side of figure three, uh, you can see we, um, the acetone production progress with each knockout. So the acetone is in blue. And in our top pie chart, this is presented in selectivity. So selectivity um, meaning that how much energies we put in, so carbon monoxide or hydrogen, the electrons within the food, that's the food they eat that turns into the product. Okay, so in base strand, you see mostly is uh, IPA because the wild type strain has that final enzyme, the secondary alcohol dehydrogenase. And so that you actually see most of IPA and a little bit acetone. And then we, when we knock out at first uh, the, the final enzyme, of IPA production to convert acetone to IPA. On the second pie chart, you can see that most of the IPA is diminished, but you can see blue area, which acetone. Uh, we still have a lot of ethanol in some of the 3HB. And then we knock out the second gene, which is the 15224, which is uh, converting 3HB CoA to 3HB and you can see increase in acetone and decrease in 3-HB. And when we knock out the final genes, you can see most of the 3-HB production uh, disappeared. And we see most of the energies goes into making acetone. Okay. And so the next is we looking into this pathway, the acetone pathway, what, what could be the bottleneck? So we're still trying to increase our acetone product, productivity, and we 
we use a few different methods to look to help to help us understand if there's a bottleneck. So the first thing we did is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we had about 250 acetone random library. So some of them is making little acetone, some, some of them making a lot of acetone. So we pick a few of these uh, random library strains and we uh, send them for proteomics studies. And we also pick some of the library where we have the acetone uh, pathway enzymes constant, but we change the promoter that's driving each gene expression so that um, trying to understand whether or not the promoter have a, a major effects on protein expression as well. So it's a two combination. We have the random library and we have a set of the gene with random promoters. So that's total 10 different strains we send to do a proteomic studies and we focusing on the three enzymes uh, that that's converting from acetyl-CoA to acetone. So in figure four, um, um, the top panel A, uh, so each four bars represents one strand. And I also forgot to mention the three enzymatic step is actually a four gene. Um, so thiolase and uh, the the middle CTFAB is a is one enzyme, but it's two subunits, so it's two genes. That's why there's two bars represents each gene, but that's one enzyme. And then the last uh, blue bar represents the last step uh, to acetone. Um, so this is the first evidence, and the second evidence to looking for the bottleneck is using a kinetic model to identify where the possible bottleneck. And the third part where we have evidence is to using cell-free system. Again, the collaborator from Northwestern um, help us with this part. So there's these three evidence to help us tell us that the second step is actually the bottleneck. So why is that? So from the first part when we did proteomic steps, um, when we look at them, uh, I don't know if you can see the first impression I got is the second step, the second enzyme is always, the two green bar is always, um, you know, except the, the 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 two that doesn't really make a lot of acetone. Most of the the strains that we studied, the second step always have the lowest protein expression compared to the first step or the the third step. Right. So on the random libraries, when you have the highest acetone production, which is represented in circle here, empty circle, you do have a higher uh, second step enzyme expression, the green bars. 
whereas on the uh, the third and the fourth uh, column from left, where you have the lowest acetone production, you also see a very low uh, second step enzyme production as well. So that's one evidence pointing to us that maybe second step is the bottleneck step of this pathway to produce acetone. And the, 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 the second evidence is uh, we have all these fermentation round data and we have our modeler to help us to look at using the kinetic model to help us to look at um, the bottleneck steps and what changes that we can and might be able to improve that. And so he ran uh, these kinetic models, which uh, is just including the, the core central metabolism from the Wulong Dao pathway from CO, CO2 hydrogen to acetyl-CoA to ethanol acetate and including the acetone pathways in this model. Um, and using the real fermentation data we obtained in the lab to train this model. And one of the conclusion from this model is uh, in the middle of the graph is he, he identified that uh, when you change the enzyme concentration, when you increase the second step enzyme concentration, and you can also see a corresponding increase in either acetone or IPA. And he did the same thing to the first step enzyme or the last step enzyme when you change enzyme concentration, you actually didn't have much change in acetone IPA production. So that's second evidence to tell us that the second enzymatic step is the bottleneck. And the third evidence uh, is again the cell-free system. So what uh, Mike Jewel's lab did was to have the cell-free enzyme, including all the three enzymes in the soup. And by changing one uh, enzyme concentration at a time uh, to understand what's the correlation between enzyme concentration and acetone production. And they also identified the more the CTFAB, which is the second step enzyme that's in the soup, the more acetone production. So that's three evidence that suggests to us that we probably could improve acetone and IPA production if we increase the dose of the second step enzyme. So uh, moving on figure five, uh, this is exactly what, what we did is we actually put an extra copy of the second step enzymes into our uh, acetone or IPA strain. So on um, figure five, the A um, figure is to show you before and after 
for the acetone production. And again, we're showing that in selectivity. So the blue area is where the acetone product, the select selectivity for acetone is. So before we only have one single copy of the second enzyme, we have about 55% selectivity of the, the electron selectivity goes to acetone. And after we add that second copy, extra copy of CDFAB, uh, you can see the selectivity towards acetone increase to over 75%. And um, so we did very similar things with our IPS strain, and that's in figure B. So as I explained earlier, the difference for acetone and IPA strain is just one enzyme, one gene. Um, it's the secondary alcohol dehydrogenase, uh, or abbreviated as SEC-ADH. And so after we developed a good acetone strain to make isopropanol to make IPA, what we did is we we add the SEC-ADH gene back into the acetone strain. So on the, uh, on the B figure is actually showing you that we tested a few different variants of this SEC-ADH gene to see uh, which one is, is best for IPA production. And we focusing on S199R, this variant, because it in the fermentation run, even though that the data shows the IPA production is very similar here, in the fermentation run, it has the most stable uh, fermentation compared to the wild type or, or the S199A variant. And in the figure 5B on the right-hand side, the toolbar is showing you, again, when we put in the second copy of our uh, CTFAB enzyme, we can further improve our IPA selectivity as well as productivity. So these are, these are the data uh, coming from a continuous fermentation uh, where gas is being fed into the fermenter um, continuously and as well as the media and the metabolites, IPA production, acetone production are monitored um, online by HPLC. So after we develop something that works really well in the lab. Uh, we do want to see that if the strain that we develop in the, in the lab will also work well in real life. So uh, we bring the strain out into a pilot reactors. So the, in, the, in the lab, our fermenters has uh, we have different size fermenters uh, up to 1.5 liter. So that's the biggest fermenter in the lab. 
um, to bring it to piloting, uh, we have 80 liters up to 150 liters. And LaserTech has a facilities in uh, Freedom Pines in Georgia, where housing these piloting scale fermenters. So and that's what the pictures you see in uh, Figure Five C. Um, that's the fermenters in Georgia, uh, where we're testing a lot of our um, process before we scale up and commercialize. So we we send our acetone or IPA strains down to Georgia and testing them in these scale up reactors. And you know, out of very happily we so that we can also see very similar selectivity and productivity based on how much gas was 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 fed into the fermenter and those results are comparable to the results that we obtained from the lab scale uh, reactors so that that actually gives us um, a quite good um, confirmation that uh, we did develop a, 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 a acetone strain and IPA strain that can also work in the field. So we were we were really uh, happy about that. And the next step we did is to compare the acetone and IPA that was made from the Lensatec process to the petrochemical process. Uh, we want to understand whether or not our process can uh, can actually help um, alleviate greenhouse gas emission. So, so on figure six is the life cycle analysis, just comparing the process, um, lensatic process to the petrochemical process. And uh, on figure six B is gives you how. Um, the boundary was set for this uh, life cycle analysis. I will have to say I'm not an expert of life cycle analysis. I have a little bit understanding. So what I understand is uh, because we're making acetone and IPA, we are not sure whether the acetone and this IPA that we made, whether it's going into fuel or whether it's going into materials. Um, so we only uh, start from uh, cradle and stops at the gate, not to grave. So, um, but we're doing the same process comparisons as well for the petrochemical um, produce acetone and IPA. And so on the right hand side uh, on figure 6c is to showing you that how much uh, green gas emissions um, was produced compared these two different processes. And overall, if we 
depending on the, the process and also depending on where the commercial plant is located, the, be the best scenarios uh, for this process, we can reduce greenhouse emissions over 160% compared to the petrochemical process. I think this, I think that, that that's all from the paper of this study. I just want to say this is amazing work. This is an amazing tour de force in bioengineering for such a critical problem um, that affects all of us. And I love the, uh, the depth and the breadth of the study, how uh, you know, you you mined the different genomes, and you went through the process of isolating the enzymes in the in the cell-free uh, soup, and really optimized to get to the target uh, products that you're interested in. And uh, then, following with the life cycle analysis, show that it, overall it's carbon negative. It's just it's exciting work. Um, I'm and I you know I noticed in the um, oh, what. What was it? I believe the uh, the uh, is it figure? Yeah, so figure four B. Um, there's all sorts of other goodies in there: the uh, butane diol, the lactate, the pyruvate. I'm wondering, is it also possible uh, to optimize for for those products? And, and you know, the reason I'm asking is um, in terms of the uh, you know, the acetone and the IPA, those are feedstock chemicals for many other downstream processes. And I've always had an interest in carbon negative materials and getting in at the um, at the upstream chains and displacing the fossil fuel sources for, mm -hmm. um, you know, for but, you know, plastics and so forth uh, downstream. But but there's a variety of chemicals that these techniques have have produced in um, um, well, first, I just just want to applaud the work, but uh, um, ask about. Uh, I mean, is it is it in the uh, in the roadmap for for your company to be producing uh, or optimizing for other chemicals as well, and yep. and in using those in feedstock chemicals for larger, higher materials? Yeah, thank you, thank you for your comments, uh, um, and thank you. Um, that um, sort of you understand how important um, to combating climate change. I think Lensatec offers one solution, and there are different solutions out there. And uh, as for chemical production, yes, acetone IPA, um, it's a three enzymatic step. I think it's the easiest one so far to engineer. Uh, we are definitely looking to produce old, uh, other chemicals that um, are with with longer C chain um, and and more valuable in in uh, price uh, per se. Um, actually, we already demonstrated over hundreds of different chemicals. Some of them already commercialized, some in piloting scale like acetone IPA, 
and we actually have some of them in proof of concept. And some of these are in further development stage. Um, I cannot talk about too much as they are still in development stage, but that's definitely in our roadmap is to uh, continually working with different companies as well as we actually have a lot of uh, academia collaborators to help us uh, to improve our genetic tools and uh, to help us understand our microbe better and to help us to uh, improve um, you know our productions on different chemicals so that's that's definitely on, on, on the roadmap wonderful thank you thank you yeah yeah thank you so much this is really amazing work um i just wanted to support what serena says is um um yeah this is this is really so um so helpful so so in order to scale this technology up for different um for different products like how how complex is it to scale this up is it like you need probably different reactors and like how fast or and how much can you produce let's say because the more you produce the more carbon you will capture so like how fast and how much can you scale up and um, are like governments helping you or so to do this because you know there just came out a new report how urgent it is to mm -hmm. contribute to carbon capture so um yeah i just wanted to know like how supported you are with this and yeah and how, how much you think you will grow in the next few years yeah um thank you uh thank you for your questions it's it's great questions um so let's answer so so plants are take process yes fermentation our process is a continuous fermentation so for example the commercial plant in china we run them three months at a time. So the ethanol production is continuous. That we always, every day we're producing a lot of ethanol and, and that can run for, for long term. The plan was designed for a 90 day run, but we actually have a lot of occasions we can run for over 100 days. So that that's one thing that's how uh, the process is de designed, it's a continuous. It's not like sugar fermentation, you probably run for three to five days and then you stop, clean the reactor and, and set up again. So that's, first of all, that's the difference uh, with our gas fermentation versus sugar fermentation. Um, um, the second of all, we are working with um, a lot of different companies to uh, to build this plant, not just in China, but all over the world. Uh, we actually have a plant, commercial plant in India, and they just about to start up. 
And by Q4 this year, we will have another plant in Belgium um, to start up. And there's three others uh, across the globe this year will start up as well. And um, mostly we uh, have customer coming approach us and we, they, uh, some of them are steel mill companies uh, that like the, uh, the one, the first one that in uh, China, um, also um, the one in Belgium and uh, some of them uh, have agricultural waste um, that they want to turn that into a different uh, chemicals. And so that's normally how the um, technologies collaborations are started. Um, we also receive some government, government grant to help us to build our uh, first uh, jet fuel uh, commercial production plants in uh, Freedom Pie. So we do apply for government grant and they, they do support our cause and, and help us um, in you know, the way that they can. Thank you, I'm glad to hear. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Liang. The uh, fascinating talk, second, uh, second the uh, previous uh, question, questioner as well. As well. The, um, I, in particular, I have a question on the, I mean, following uh, Katarina's question on the scale, scaling up. In your uh, paper, the figure uh, four, you showed uh, that uh, uh, the to, toward, uh, I'm sorry, uh, figure five, uh, figure five C, you show yeah. and, and B, uh, you, you show the data that the, the uh, of your pilot run. Uh, I'm curious of the, the in D, in figure D, there's uh, the larger square and the circle indicating that those are uh, pilot versus the mm -hmm. small ones are lab. Uh, seemingly that, uh, uh, productivity is still uh, lagging behind the lab, and, and I'm curious. What, according to your uh, assessment, what are the uh, uh, a few you know steps that you would uh, are is are, are, is it something that you want to improve on, or uh, do you have a estimate of uh, what's uh, blocking the road? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, thank you for the questions, Frank, and then. Sorry, I think I didn't answer Katharina's uh, quest, uh, questions about uh, how easy is it to scale up from lab scale to piloting scale. Um, to run a two liter reactor and to run a 150 liter reactor is definitely, there's a lot of different things. Um, the reactor designs is different uh, the way how you uh, introduce the nutrient to the reactor is different. Um, we are dealing with a feedstock that's gas and instead of sugar, so it's, it doesn't really dissolve in water that well. So at the smaller scale, at the bigger scale, there's actually a lot of um, uh, things that needs to change. 
And and Frank, you are very good. You actually looking, pointing out a very good thing is like, um, but I do want to say first thing that this set of data is slightly older. Uh, we actually have uh, newer data now that we have to show close productivity, com very comparable to the lab reactors close to three gram per liter per hour. Oh, great. However, yes, <laughs> um, but these, this paper is written a year and a half ago. And with Nature Biotech, we actually go through a very long review process and editing process. But what I want to point out here is when we're looking at uh, um, the performance of our strain, we're looking at because it's really difficult to compare the large scale and the smaller scale. They are a very different reactors, even though it's the same strain. So what, how we compare them as this graph showed, we actually looking at how much energies that the cells take and how much product that they put out. So that's how we compare whether or not these two systems are similar or not. And the data here tells us that in small reactor or in the big scale up reactors, when they take up similar amount of the energy from CO or hydrogen, they produce similar amount of acetone or IPA. So that's how we say they are comparable. I see. So it, 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 it's a due to the different way of measuring. I mean, the, apparently, the uh, seem, seemingly the larger the pilot, uh, uh, what do you call the, uh, the um, uh, the container that it, it's it's a uh, so put a put a limit on the uh, uh, where the 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 data points can can reach or or is some some other you it you didn't change the re reaction say the gen enzymes or something or nothing the the theory right yeah it's mainly process optimization that we need to uh, figure out to scale up. Great, thank you. Yeah, yeah, good for you. I mean, you, in the new in your new uh, programs, the you reach the full potential. Yeah, great. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. Um, you had a question or comment, and also anyone else who has a question or comment, flash your mic so that we can put an order to the questions. Thank you, Denise. Uh, thank you, Ching, for sharing with us this amazing, I mean, paper. Uh, I have two short questions. First of all, it's about engineered strain that you just talked about. Uh, did you consider any parts from the yeast inside this strain or not? Because we are talking about prokaryotes and in too many ways I see in a paper that's very, I mean, condensed process, which it can show me the optimization, which you just mentioned about. This is my first question. Okay, uh, so let me uh, 
let me rephrase your question, Ben, making sure I understand. So you are asking, uh, have we considered using yeast to produce acetone yes. IPA? Is that your, that's your question? Yes, because you talk about Okay. So, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I think the the reason we want to use the CO2 because it can the feedstocks are waste gases. Um. So, are, are you actually asking if we can engineer yeast to make yeast to eat gas to produce yes. ethanol? I I ask okay. maybe you use that already. So there's an opinion as well. Um, it's not that easy, that's what I'm going to say. We haven't tried it, um, but I understand is there are other academia labs, they're trying to put the Wulong Dao pathway, which is the, which is the C1 utilization pathway. They're trying to put this pathway into either E. coli or uh, into the sugar fermenting clostridium. Um, but I have not yet seen success yet. Um, also, so, are you finished? I mean, for next question. Yeah, yes. Um, I guess I guess one more thing I just want to say is um, they have very different physiology um in the gas eating clostridium that Lensatec use or you call the acetogen um it has quite a lot of reduced ferrodoxin um whereas it's not true for e coli or it's not true for yeast and certainly not true for sugar fermenting Australian. And we think some of these processes really requires very reduced environment to to, to have this uh, C1 fixation process to function properly and efficiently. So that that's that's one I think one major thing that um, it's really difficult to to engineer um, to put Wulong up pathway into a different uh, microorganisms. But that being said, uh, there are actually other labs um, that's looking into carbon C1 fixation pathway, not using Wulong Dao. There's actually different carbon fixation pathways um, and they're trying to engineer that uh, into E. coli and with certain success. So that that's being demonstrated. Exactly. So yes, my point of view was about the optimization of the, I mean, refilling or replenishing of the NAD positive. That's why I just mentioned about it. Also by considering the LCA cycle, because you just mentioned about the acidogenesis. I was just wondering, did you guys uh, consider it all of the parts in the cycle or not? Uh, sorry, I didn't get that last part. Consider. Yes, uh, for the acidogenesis cycle, for example, we have three steps. I was just wondering, in this strain, did you consider it all of the parts or not? 
for example, we have, uh, I mean, bioelectrical genesis, and then we just move to the next part, for, ex for example, bioanoxygenesis, and then another step. I was just wondering, did you consider it all of the steps or not? Because we have a LCA report here. Um, <laughs> I still don't quite understand your question. So, um, so you are asking if the LCA considering all the um, make uh, the, the strength, it's not just making acetone, it's also for making ethanol and making acetate. Is, is that your question? I'm sorry. Yes, because you mentioned about the three steps and I totally got it. So in a process optimization, we have a chart about the LCA cycle. And LCA cycle is related with the acidogenesis and acidogenesis has steps because we are talking about either reducing okay. the carbon number or total yeah. emission of that. That's why I was just wondering, did you consider okay. all of the steps or is just one part or two parts? Okay, okay. I, I think, um, so, so I, I just first, first thing I need to say, I'm not LCA experts, but what I understand is uh, we consider, so we are looking at the LCA, what um, the numbers that they use to put into the model for calculations is from our fermentation data. So they will take into account of how much acetone, how much IPA, how much ethanol is produced at what level and using how much gas. Um, some of the uh, uh, estimations are um, based on our ethanol production plan. So some of those data we think will be similar. So that's that's how it's calculated. So I guess you can say we are looking the process as a whole. We didn't actually separate them. Did I answer your question? Yes, that's fine enough. Thank you so much. Thank you. Anyone else have questions? Because I have a couple. Flash your mics. Go ahead, Dennis. Okay, seeing none. Um, so I was curious about the, you had mentioned the, the facilities that are in production and um, are planning to be coming online shortly this year. I was curious how easy it is to deploy these sorts of facilities, perhaps closer to the, um, the sources of the products you're trying to reclaim and then turn into fuel. And then I was also curious, so this is kind of obscure um, question, but you had mentioned the, the conversion of uranium-6 to 4, and I was curious if that was the technology that was being used to, to remediate the Hanford site in Washington, and then we can go from there. Okay. So... Um... The first questions, <laughs> sorry, 
so you repeat for your first, first, first question. question is, you have to bring all these materials to your facility. Ah, got it. I remember now. The, the facility yeah. to the materials. Sorry. No problem. So our commercial plane is actually built. So, for example, the first commercial plane is actually built next to the steel mill plant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the the waste gas, the flue gas coming from the steel making right, process, right, they pipe just, into right our fermenter. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So most of these plant commercial plants that I talk about now and future, they all build close to the source. Got it. That makes yeah. sense. For, <laughs> that makes <yeah>. sense. <laughs> um, but you cannot move the feedstock, but you can, after we make the product, then you can transport ethanol, you can transport acetone or IPA. That's easier to transport than the feedstock. Naturally, yeah. yeah. And then I was curious how, um, how power intensive the manufacturing is. How, uh, sorry, what, what how intensive? How power intensive, like how much power does power it require yeah. Um, like, is so that one of the generation yeah. model or, you know, what's yep. the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, if looking, if you break down our LCA analysis, I think major uh, consumption is for electricity use. Um, um, and then the, probably the second one will be the water use. So, um, if we can use, depending on where the plant was uh, is uh, built, you know, California and Texas would have a very different power grid. But if we could use electricity, renewable electricity, and then we can bring down, uh, further bring down our uh, capex as well as the uh, greenhouse emission. Um, also, the second one is about water usage. You grow bacteria, you do need water. Uh, what we, we've done is uh, we've been starting to recycle water. So we actually, when the, the, uh, ferment, the continuous fermentation is running, we uh, have uh, pipelines, have our um, products, being, if it's ethanol, it can be easily distillated and rest of the water and a spam media is actually went back into our fermenter. So that's how we reduce our water usage and we're trying to Im implement uh, renewable electricity wherever we can. It's nice to hear that the, that the water usage is a closed loop system. And then the other question was more on the uranium, but we don't actually really have to get into it. And if, anybody, <laughs> if anyone else has other questions, we're talking about um, something that's a little different. Okay. Um, do any of the mods have other questions? Yeah, Dakota Lamar. Uh... Uh, go ahead, Dakota. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, I, we can hear you. We cannot hear you, Dakota. I see. See you on mic, but uh, 
don't hear your voice. So it, it, let, let me ask a question then. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Uh, I mean, Jin, uh, the, uh, it's, uh, so th this research will be fall under the, the uh, bigger, uh, the, the larger field called the biosynthesis, right? Is that correct? Biosensor? Biosynthesis. Is it? Uh, biosynthesis. Uh, um, I, I, I suppose, yes. Uh, just uh, as an educational interest, are there some already, you know, uh, chemicals already been, uh, say, commercially uh, switching from the fossil fuel uh, production line to biosynthesis? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that you know of? I mean, say... Uh... Yeah, there is a few. Uh, one example is the one for butendile that was produced from engineered E. coli by um, Genomatica. That's one example. Okay. But they are but they are using again that's a sugar fermentation, right? Because E. coli you have to use sugar to grow that. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, the uh, not bio, not involving bio, probably I, I, if I didn't miss anything is the, say there's a plastic like a PLA, right? So the, the polylactic uh, acid that uh, replacing the, uh, bio, uh, uh, you know, chemical mm -hmm. uh, rack Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see. I'll, I'll take more uh, that you, you, you said one for, Butane dial, right? So yeah, one for BDO. Yeah, that probably others, right? So very interesting. Um, I think Dakota said that now it should work. So Dakota, please go ahead. Dakota, can you hear us? Yes. Right. My apologies. Can you hear me? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. I was uh, wanting to ask a question about the process optimization. Um, we've talked a bit about the chemical side and the um, steps of the various cycles um, in the reaction process. I was wondering if there were any limitations you've encountered or you might have noticed on either the flow rate through the piping or any, um, any inherent material limitations within the reactors you're currently using, um, any sort of thermal gradient issues or um, electrical issues, uh, just uh, more material limitations as opposed to chemical? Thank you. Okay. Um, I think when and if we identified, we pretty much overcome it. <laughs> That's how we commercialized, right? Because we have a plan running over three years now. Um, I I do want to say that um, um, I I cannot talk too much. Some of these are proprietary information, but I do want to say that uh, we have gone through, um, for example, medium recipe changes just to ensure that the some of the media component is not um, 
um, interfere with our reactors in the long term, for example. That that's 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 one thing that um, that we have um, and we have done in the past to to ensure our uh, commercial operation is uh, doing well. Um, Damar, Lamar, I'm sorry. Thank you. No, that was all. Um, I apologize. I have a poor signal right now, but I caught most of that. Thank you so much. Sure. Um, hi, Lamar. Do you want to ask a question now? Um, Dakota um, asked a question for me. I was just wondering what, you know, what the, what the, the topic of the room was related to. I'm sorry, I can't really hear you. Uh, can you get closer, maybe, to the mic? That's okay. He had said that uh, that he had uh, that Dakota had actually asked his question, unless I'm mistaken. Okay. Hi, Rajarshi. Do you want to ask a question? Welcome. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, can I just come uh, come back in a bit, please? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask um, you uh, how much time you still have because uh, it's, you know, we are way over an hour. So I wanted to check with you if you still have some time or if, if you need to go, it's, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I can stay. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Okay. So, yeah, please go ahead if you have some more questions. Um, I know Money Penny. She had the question, but some somehow it didn't work for her to come here. And um, she, I know she wanted to ask. I'm not sure if you could, if you have an answer, but um, if you if one could also use basically your technology to um, to produce different medicines like especially now during the pandemic, it's still going on. If, if there's a way to produce like COVID medication and other medications with this technology. Probably. <laughs> um, so I guess first thing we will look is uh, to see what the product is and um, the second thing is we will then to identify uh, the pathways um, whether if for example acetone ipa is a natural pathway well, we can steal from other bacteria or organisms um, if not um, we also have computer aided um, design system where we can look into all different reactions in the database and um, making up synthetic pathways into a new product. So um, I don't know the the, the product, uh, is the, the drug is probably very complicated. So the, the more complicated the product, the, the less easy to make uh, from 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 a two carbon compound acetyl-CoA, right? So probably, probably <laughs> that, that's my answer. 
Well, yeah, she, she posted an article about uh, respiratory acidosis and, and uh, it was about uh, regulating um, carbonate or bicarbonate. And, you know, it, it, it sort of bridges the gap to, you know, you've got a modified strain that's, that's taking, uh, reducing CO2 effectively. Mm -hmm. in the in the atmosphere in the not in the atmosphere either in the microbiome or in the blood yep and so it's an interesting angle there uh, i'm not ahead. sure if that would have any outcome on the blood uh if you have that in the by in the gut going on i don't I, think I'm i think <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, we're gonna <laughs> well, let's fi let's finish up the current comments and then we can get to yours. Thank you. Yeah, I think she's talking about mine now. Actually, the question got a bit altered. Um, Ching, sorry, it's muddled you. Uh, my question was uh, relating to the gross um, acidosis, uh, ketonic uh, high ketones um, that cause. Um, tremendous uh, long COVID due to overproduction of, um, I think it's HC3, um, but in particular, um, the uh, muscular um, degradation is being caused by um, the over um, amount of ethanol or alcohol production um, by the body. And we, we have this hypoxemia that's created uh, quite dramatically. And I was looking at uh, the use of the sort of technology that you're doing um, against viruses, particularly against, I looked at influenza and the different coronavirus family. And particularly in the coronavirus family, um, it seemed as though there was uh, quite a lot of potential application or cross application from what you're doing. Um, so I've just got a couple of um, articles that have done very similar. In fact, it was almost like listening to you speaking, the sorts of applications they were doing. Um, and I wondered if you'd got any experience in that area. Um, no, <laughs> I don't. Well, maybe but I can send like, you the paper. You know, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's definitely interesting to read about. Yeah, thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. I, I'm not sure if that would work out. It's like when you try to change, um, uh, you know, some sort of uh, fat in the blood by um, by changing something in your microbiome or something. And, and, and it mostly doesn't work because your body itself, uh, like, through a different physiology processes produces them. It's not enough to just go into the biome, microbiome, for example, and make them do something because it's, it's an error in your system, I, I believe, but maybe Tom can, can help us out here um, because he's a microbial physiology uh, expert. So. Thank you. you, you can. Yeah, that would help. It's about the reactivation of all the old bacterium and dormant pathogens in the body that's caused by SARS-CoV-2. So, for example, the Epstein-Barr is being reactivated, as is all the um, bacteria from like Streptococcus. Everything that you've had prior to having SARS-CoV-2 is reactivated either as a fungus or a bacteria, which is often causing a lot of the problems uh, intestinally and gastrally. Tom, did you have any input on this question? 
Yes, I, not not to put Doctor Lee on the spot, but I I thought you know、um, Doctor Lee might be you know helpful to the stage you know, given his expertise in this area. Yeah, I invited him. Tom, go ahead. Hi, I just um、uh, hello everyone. I just <laughs> I'm in the car park now, just、um, making sure that I talk and、um, not drive at the same time. <laughs> so、um, I didn't hear everything、uh, properly.、Um, So, could you repeat the question?、Um, Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll put it simpler.、Um, so, in、um, in people with post-COVID difficulties, particularly caused by、um, having a low blood oxygen level permanently over a long time,、um, who have got reactivated. Um, previously dormant pathogens, predominantly strong and new、um, bacteria.、Um, their immune system, the ACE2 receptors, obviously weakened significantly,、um, and they've got reactivation of Epstein-Barr, particularly, and fungal Streptococcus,、uh, and、uh, all the usual big bacteria.、Um, they're producing too much gas.、Um, they've got severe acidosis. Um, and a problem with a buildup of far too much、um, acidity and alcohol、um, in the body. Is there a way that、uh, the technology Ching's talking about could be used to help? Oh,、um, I think if there is a technology,、um, I'm.、Uh, I mean.、Um, Ching would would be the expert on this, but I would say that not in the, the, the recent few years are we going to see something that would be successful. Part of the reason is because、um, it is a very diverse um, um, population in the gut, and any time there is、um, a particular、uh, perturbation.、Um, There will be multiple、uh, reactions by different microbes, and they will produce different compounds, and, there are, and then the,、um, the gut will react accordingly. So I can't, at least、um, for myself, I can't really see something that's easily done、um, to do that yet. But I think Ching may be the expert on that. But Uh, I'd like to say hi to Ching.、Um, looks like you, I see、uh, your fellow、uh, strict anaerobe here. So、um, go anaerobes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, I don't understand、uh, human physiology enough to to answer or pathology enough to answer this question. So I. I Um, I do need to、uh, read a couple、uh, literatures before before I can honestly answer.、Um, It's pretty far out of scope for for sort of the topic of discussion.、Um, but to sort of to sort of address both sides of it, in terms of the research that's being presented right now,、um, the the way that these microbes、uh, microorganisms are being used. Uh, I, I don't think would have any sort of relevance to the treatment of any sort of COVID condition.、Um, in terms of being tying it back to maybe a way that it might be possibly in some other way、uh, related, is that there are certainly mechanisms where 
pharmaceuticals are derived or other synthetic molecules are derived from the manipulation of genes within microbes. So in this case, we were talking about four to 13 genes being uh, played with, and uh, there were 250 uh, types that they went through to figure out what the highest yield would be on the conversion rate from the raw materials to the output materials. So if that ties everything together, for everyone. I hope that addresses all the points. I think um, I agree with Dennis, and uh, I think one thing that we have to keep in mind, and maybe a good analogy is this, if there's a room with um, just say 20 people, okay, and um, if there is one bad actor, um, that is going to affect in a cascade event um, affecting everybody in the room and they're all going to react differently. Uh, some are going to um, get aggressive, uh, the other one is going to try to moderate things and others are going to get scared. So I think this is sort of a very humanistic way of saying it, but I think suffice to say is that what we have seen is that if we try antibiotics, uh, if we try um, even adding probiotics, uh, there will be so many cascading events that ultimately um, um, it might cause um, effects on the human host that we can't account for. And then we're going to react accordingly, and then after that, that's going to cause a lot. So at the very least, I can say that um, many of the microbiologists, they are studying what we call syncoms, in other words, synthetic communities just between two organisms, we are already quite perturbed as to how some um, exchange of molecules signaling occurs, and even sometimes you will have um, um, antibiotics that are produced, and it can be quite challenging to figure things out just between two microbes. So imagine what happens when um, you have thousands of different species um, that are in the gut reacting to, as you mentioned, acidosis and so forth, what's going to happen to that. Um, the the uh, human host site, uh, we use bicarbonate as a buffer uh, that is balanced with CO2. So there will always be a compensatory reaction, and so we just keep as much as possible at near circumneutral. Um, even a slight difference in, you know, from pH 7 to pH 7.1 can cause drastic, uh, devastating health effects too. So I think, I, I know it is a very um, roundabout answer, but I think that's the state of biology um, or gut biology and human reaction um, as we know now. Thank you. Raj, you had something? Uh, yeah, I'd like to ask, um, you mentioned um, you were setting up a plant in India. Um, I um, invited a friend earlier, he couldn't stay, but uh, he's he does biomethylation projects. Um, I'm, I'm not sure uh, if this is an improvement to that process or um, how it's different uh, from biomethylation. Um, so what is, <laughs> I'm not sure I understand what is bio... Uh, methylation. Uh, can you can you? So um, they they're able to produce uh, fuels from 
uh, MSW municipal solid waste and from low carbon sources like uh, um, plant agricultural wastes and uh, you know non-edible food grain wastes, um, and they can produce methyl alcohol. Um, wait, um, am I getting that wrong? Okay. Um, and uh, it's it's used. Um, I, I think uh, recently they've been used to power. Uh, to make CNG, uh, bio CNG, it's called, um, to power trucks, etc. Um, and it's been successfully used to. Uh, right now, all of the waste management um, um, trucks in Mumbai, for example, are running on bio CNG. So um, it's it's a pretty recent tech. I, in fact, um, I had a friend here who's who's uh, was asking if you'd be willing to share the tech because um, <clears throat> they already have waste management facilities where they're able to process uh, municipal waste into fuel. Um, so uh, uh, just if, if you're aware of this or if I could share some across. Yeah. Um. Yeah, thank you for sharing and for asking all the questions. Um, do you, it, does anyone have more questions for now? Um, yeah, Frank, do you have another question? No, I was just uh, wondering, I, did, I didn't hear, is my connection went out or I didn't hear? Uh, we, we can hear you, go ahead. No, it's, did, did Ching like wanted to, continue to answer or uh, her or she has seen some connection problems. Oh, good point. Oh, no. So there's just sorry. Unmiked and, I was uh, trying to quiet. right. Go for it. <laughs> I was just trying to understand. So the um, I was not familiar with that process of trying to get my head around. So I was thinking that trying to um, understand is that is that to break down the uh, is it a fermentation involve a biology or it's a, 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 a catalyst reaction? Uh, so um, I, I don't think uh, in biomethylation they use uh, um, uh, living organisms like bacteria. Okay. Um, I'm, just, uh, I'm just looking for, I see a couple of news articles, I'm looking for something to if I'm, uh, I'll just share on the chat, but um, so uh, I, I think it's more of a mechanical process, like a chemical process. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I'm sure they've been looking into um, biocatalysts and um, other ways to improve the process. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, um, I, I, I just need to just make sure I know what I'm talking about before I answer this. <laughs> So, so if if it's a a catalyst reaction, um, just assume we can talk about. So, we can talk about, um, for example, um, the um the catalyst versus our biocatalysts. Uh, our bio biocatalyst is, is is flexible. So, um, just think about the flue gas we use from the steel mill um it it's a waste gas from that process um the 
the gas composition is not stable. It's not constant, I should say. So uh, normally it has carbon monoxide um, around 50%, um, but sometimes it can go as low as 30%, sometimes it goes as high as 70%, and then the composition changes. Um, I, um, I don't have a graph to show you, but we have a graph to show a 100-day run with everyday stable ethanol production. And corresponding to each day, you can see the CO um, content, CO con uh, gas content fluctuation um, really wildly from, you know, from the high point to the low point, whereas the, our, our CO2 acetogen um, can, can still grow on well and making ethanol. Uh, at the similar amount every day, so that that's one thing I want to want to say about our system using our microbe um, is uh, quite flexible uh, against gas, um, um, you know, alterations, um, and um, for chemical or mechanical reactions, as far as I. My basic understanding is it requires a very rigid conditions to have that process uh, to work uh, efficiently. And so, in another words, if you have, for example, a fifty percent CO today and the next day thirty percent CO, then you may not have a hundred percent conversion rate. Um, Ching? Yeah. I, I think uh, I, I just read the link that um, Rajashi. Uh, so basically, is uh, I, I thought it was biomethylation, but I think um, he meant, maybe I listened incorrectly, but it's biomethanation. So basically using methanogens from, um, oh. you know, uh, using fecal matter and, and then uh, yeah. produce lots of methane. And so I, I think that's what he's Got it. So it's also a biological process, but using different kind of microorganisms. Oh, and yeah. So um, my mistake. Yeah. So it's biomethanation, and um, uh, yeah. So um, my uh, a friend does projects on this, and there's been quite a bit of government adoption. The UN has tried to increase infrastructure around this so i think there's going to be a lot of interest around adoption for your um for your uh, process as well um so just is is there anyone they can reach out to and where in india were you um planning to set up if i may ask um i can find out for you <laughs> i'm not sure i'm going to pronounce it correctly we actually have one that's about to be online, and we actually have another one um, in India that's um, starting to uh, get constructed. So um, I don't know if my email address is available to everyone. Um, you, if you want to um, send me an email, I can put you to the um, 
either business development people uh, to get in touch. Oh, thank you so much. I'll just message you and ask for your email then. Thank you. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I have a question to ask Ching. Um, whenever uh, I'm in line, I'm, I'm not no, sure. Go for it, Tom. You're, you're, oh, okay. you're in line. Go for it. Okay, thanks. Uh, Ching, so um, I'm looking at the paper um, that uh, Katarina um, put, uh, and basically, just just very briefly, is trying to increase the yields of um, isopropanol uh, and um, I forgot what the other um, acetone. Acetone, right? So so that's very similar to the uh, Clostridium acetobutyricum, where um, the first president Weissman from Israel. Um, yes, he actually correct. made. Uh, Butanol as home for the uh, war effort. Right? So, yes. one thing that I'm curious about is that, um, in terms of strain improvement, um, for this kind of process, um, I guess you can either do uh, directed evolution um, of the enzymes, but you can also di do directed the evolution of the microbe itself. And mm -hmm. uh, so, how much genetics? Um, do you do for this? Do you do a combination of um, allowing uh, evolutionary um, compensation in terms of uh, gene mm -hmm. regulation, uh, post-transcriptional and post-translational to occur, and then beef it up by doing genetics on it, or do you just um, start off with genetics? Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Um, so. Earlier in my talk, you were—I guess—you were not here. I explained. Uh, so the acetogen that we use does not produce acetone or IPA, and the Clostridium butyricum or acetobutyricum um, that you mentioned uh, from the Weissman process. It's a sugar fermenting clostridium. They are they all called clostridium, but they are actually very different species. The sugar fermenting clostridium, um, ABE fermentation, acetone butanol, ethanol fermentation, they they don't have this long dog pathway where uh unlike our uh CO2 that can take on CO, CO2, or hydrogen, and turn that into acetyl-CoA, and then into ethanol and other products. So that that's one. Uh, that's the first thing. So the uh, so to to make acetone IPA, we will have to uh, start from uh, introduce the heterologous acetone IPA pathway. Um, first, so everything is genetic. Um, we, we we didn't do adapt, adaptive evolution. Um, that being said, our um, our current commercial ethanol strain is actually a adaptive adaptive evolution derived strain. So I guess. Um, uh... I mean, it depends on first uh, is trying to get great yields, but 
at a certain point, um, if the organism is running through the yield and the flux um, of the uh, substrate uh, goes through energy, but very little for cell biosynthesis, then that can, that's the thing that we are always a little bit concerned about because um, we, in my, my former lab, I was trying to do a heterologous expression of a, an enzyme. And that seems to be, at least on paper, pretty run of the mill. But we mm -hmm. forgot that the cofactor uh, biosynthetic genes also has to be included. And uh, that was unknown. And basically, uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with the anaerobic uh, methanotrophic uh, archaea. Uh, mm -hmm. So we are trying to express that in um, the methanogen that we have. And something that simple actually um, went on for about two years, and we did not succeed, but we learned. <laughs> We learned a lot, <laughs> so um, so so. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so strain engineering and optimization. This is something uh, I just want to say. I understand. So CO two is is a obligate and a rope. It's not easy to work with. Um, I can. I've never worked with uh, methanogen or methanotroph. Uh, my understanding is it's even harder to work with. Um, so a lot of um, you know respect to your previous work, and and it it's it's just hard. Um, but what what I wanted to say is um um. I think acetone and IPA right now is a three enzymatic step, and we because it 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 was understood and uh, identified at least a hundred years ago. So a lot of these enzymes are well understood. The cofactors and um, other things involved in the pathways are also well understood, and so for this particular case. Uh, we do see a very good adaptation from the sugar fermenting clostridium to our acetogens, and then we sort of understand where the limitation and what kind of um, reducing redox cofactors that that will require to go into that process. So I think that's uh, one advantage uh, there, um, and and also each step of the way while we. Uh, doing our strain engineering, pathway engineering. Um, we also uh, making sure that each alteration of the gene knock in and knock out, our strain is growing well in our reactors. So they, 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 there are some factors we definitely keep very close eye on. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. and. Uh, I think uh, Katarina and um, the other moderators here have brought up people that talked about um, um, sort of uh, biodegradation sustainability. And I think taking what you have shared with us today um, about sort of the power of the microbes, um, they are very small, but what they make up for their small size uh, they make it up in terms of having, you know, huge biomass and large numbers. And so you have this potential uh, catalytic um, 
a group of organisms that can just um, do a lot of conversions that can help society uh, in terms of uh, degrading toxic compounds or in terms of producing bioplastics and also pharmaceutical products. So, so um, no, it, it's really nice to see um, different approaches of uh, engineering microbes uh, in a way that doesn't uh, have a negative impact on society. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. Um, small microbe, but uh, huge potential and flexibilities. Um, could I ask, what's the closest naturally um, natural equivalent of an autoethanogen? Uh, maybe something that um, you know has similar or involves similar processes or uses it within a larger, more complex system in the natural world. Uh, so you are talking, uh, you are asking about uh, relatives of CO2, so uh, all different acetogens, for example. For example, uh, the close relative would be Clostridium longdalii. Is that, is that your question? I'm sorry. Uh, okay, um, uh, so are both of these rel relatives... Um, um, relatively easily found in nature, like common. Okay, okay. All, uh, yes, all these acetogens are identified in nature. It's maybe some living in your guts. Maybe Tom can uh, shed some light. <laughs> um, but uh, this C autoethanogenum was actually originally isolated from a New Zealand rabbit poop. Sorry, what well, did they you are, say they are the, in the, the environment? What was the source Pardon? organism? It, it's actually isolated from the poop of a rabbit. Okay, that's what I thought you said. I just wanted to make sure I heard you right. <laughs> Sorry. Can I ask a couple questions? Sure. These are maybe like far-fetched, um, but question, uh, cool that like you can like, uh, use like a carbon negative source to make like um, like a uh, I think it was IPA is isopropanol. Am I am I right there? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, is, do you think it's too far fetched for research to go towards seeing if you can make like simple fuels? You know what I'm saying? Because like if you think about like uh, like uh, Mars missions and stuff like that, it would be great for you'd be able to have a bacteria that uses a gas that may be already there to, you know what I'm saying, make a fuel to get said space, uh, whatever uh, craft is there off the planet and back on its way to Earth. You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think that's kind of far-fetched? Yeah. Um, uh, probably not. Uh, if uh, the, um, uh, the, we can have a small fermentation device with one of the CO2 there making ethanol. Um, the it's the only thing that we need to provide is the the some of the metals, some salts, some vitamins. Uh, These proposals are being considered uh, for 
for habitation and, and colonies on other planets. Um, the thing is about relying on these sorts of methodologies is you have insufficient humans to as, as raw material to then convert to any meaningful level of fuel at this time or, you know, within sort of the phase one of colonization of any of these planets. When, when you get to larger planets, you can have very, uh, or larger populations, you can have very large bioreactors and it may be a viable um, pathway to energy production. That's cool. I have one more question too. Um, like dealing with the gut, uh, is it also, or is it like too far-fetched to like, uh, I guess, research towards uh, seeing if like the the end product could be something that's metabolizable, like as a, a secondary energy source, you know what I'm saying? Um, sorry, I, can you rephrase your question? I'm not sure I understand. So it. instead of like the end product being like in like uh, acetone or, or IPA. Uh, do you think it's possible for that end product to be something that the body can use, like for energy? Like, can it take like a non-carbon uh -huh. source and make some type of carbon source that can be broken down into something usable? Okay. Um, so you will need carbon to make something that contains carbon right so you 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 cannot uh so you need to provide the, the carbon source if you if the end product has carbon in there right so you you cannot really making something um and, and most of the stuff we use contains carbon so it, it cannot making something that without carbon well my bad because like i guess like from my understanding, I tried to read the paper, but I'm, it's a little dense for me, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I was mm -hmm. guessing that, like, by carbon negative, it was meaning, like, it wasn't using a sugar, but it was using right. something else. So, so like, <laughs> so the carbon negative means that uh, when we do the life cycle analysis, uh, we have the, the lensatec process way of producing acetone and IPA does not, uh, has less carbon uh, dioxide, greenhouse gas em emission compared to the petrochemical process. Oh. Um, yes. <laughs> My bad. And, uh, and then the, the main reason is because we are using these waste gases that uh, was normally get emitted, released to atmosphere, um, but we recycle these these uh, waste gases and converting that to product. Cool beat. <laughs> Hi, Jing. Um, sorry, I, I missed most of the presentation, but um, I'm looking at the paper right now and it's uh, very impressive work. And I've also been talking with Kat about the extent that to which you actually um, gone through to use this as a proof of concept. Um, I do have some 
questions um, regarding this. So um, I see that um, production of like a fixation of carbon dioxide all the way to producing um, isopropanol and acetone takes some kind of pathway. I'm just wondering if um, if there is like, um, if you can isolate the, basically the enzymes that are involved in this, in this pathway and have them fixed into some kind of uh, reactor, do you think that that would perform better than uh, having the micro, uh, I mean, the, uh, the, uh, the bacteria? Because, um, because like, you know, if they, I would assume that, you know, if they overproduce um, acetone or isopropyl, that there will be some kind of cell toxicity and that would reduce the, um, uh, that would reduce the cell population. But yeah, this is this is my first question. Great, thanks. Um, that's very interesting questions. Um, I'm going to answer later, but I want to explain the uh, fermentation process a little bit more in detail. Um, it's a continuous fermentation process, meaning, meaning that when the fermentation is running, we keep providing the feedstock, which is the waste gas, gases, uh, the medium for the cell to grow. On the other end, we have the product being uh, distillated out. And then um, the spam media and the rest of the stuff going back into the uh, fermentation. Um, so that as the the IPL acetone being poured out through this continuous process, we actually don't accumulate uh, to a very high um, level of acetone IPL that to the level that will be a uh, poison to the cells. So that's one thing. Um, so your idea was just using the enzymes that's involved in the pathway to make acetone IPA is interesting. I think our collaborator, um, Professor Mike Jewett from Northwestern University, who um, you know uh, developed this iProbe cell-free system, that's one of the idea is just to have a cell lyase and just providing uh, enzymes and some of, uh, or just uh, a plasmid with the, the gene sequence and just providing the machinery for the cell lysis uh, to make the enzyme and then eventually make the product. That's something that's um, in the developing uh, stage right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I guess like that kind of makes sense um, when you talked about a continuous fermentation process because most bioreactors are batch reactors. So I was yes. I was actually like my head was kind of stuck in that way. My second question is that um, is there some kind of a pre-process to essentially increase the concentration of carbon dioxide? By that I mean, do you do some kind of CO two scrubbing using like uh, um, solvents like MIA or something like that to Increase the carbon dioxide concentration, at least like in tandem with, with the bioreactor to maximize uh, uh, CO2 fixation. Right. So um, the the gases is not actually very soluble uh, in water. So to increase the gas utilization, we uh, actually 
uh, have to uh, increase the pressure in our reactor so that there's enough gas dissolved in the water for the bacteria to grow on. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about Mia, um, which is actually used as um, sort of like a traditional CO2 scrubber in industries. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, I was, um, I thought that that would be more efficient than using water. Of course, like uh, water would be um, uh, sort of like a, a less ideal uh, solvent for CO2. But, but yeah, I was thinking like maybe if you can um, use some kind of CO2 scrubber alongside with the bioreactor to sort of like maximize carbon dioxide. But I was thinking wrong that side, uh, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to have the bacteria to grow, we, we still need the water, right? So no matter what, so that we can have different gas sources, we are definitely looking into directly extract CO2 from the air. And I think uh, one of the uh, uh, equipment that we use is, is like what you said, I'm, I'm not sure, but um, definitely this is something uh, we are looking into. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've been going on for two hours now, so <laughs> I wanted to, to check in. It's getting quite late, so um, yeah. Unless somebody has an urgent question, maybe we. I can also, if you have questions, I you can also write me or um, Dr. Liang and. Um, we can follow up maybe, don't you think? <laughs> I don't I don't know. If you want to keep going, I'm also fine, but but yeah, it, you've been talking for two hours, but <laughs> it has been a wonderful yeah, you gave such a great uh uh presentation of your work and your company's work and it was a great honor having you here and um um that you shared with us your knowledge and your expertise in this very important field though thank you very much we are very grateful and uh good luck for your work <laughs> and uh, i thank hope you. you grow a lot and you capture a lot of carbon out there uh, we all are cheering you on i guess <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much for the chance and thank you for all the wonderful questions and um you know, help me explain our process better and also, um, you know, explain the publication better. Um, is the room chat will be saved later? Because I didn't have a time to look through the chat and I think there are some publications uh, that are interesting. Um, so it's, I, I believe it's saved with the replay, isn't it? Oh, it okay. is? Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'll send you the link to the replay um, okay. as soon as it's available. And um, yeah, and please come back anytime. You know, we have, if you're interested in participating, you know, when other people come or if you at some point want to share again some updates that you're allowed to share with us, please come back anytime. It was a great pleasure having you. Definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. Wonderful thank work. You. Thank you.
Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, and good night. Thank you. Have a great night. And <laughs> you too. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, um, yeah, and thank you everyone in the audience and you know everyone that participated in the discussion. Um, this was a really wonderful um, room. And um, yeah, if you like thing, uh, discussions like this, please follow the Science Society. Um, <clears throat> we will have more guest speakers tomorrow. We will have actually at 10 a.m. Um, guest speaker from Europe who will talk about uh, mental health related research and ADHD and hoarding. It's a pretty interesting paper also. So, um, yeah, but if you cannot make it at that time, we have, as usual, recording, so you can listen to the recording. And then we'll have on Friday, we will have a more um, roundtable discussion. Uh, I have to put the title up. I actually thought about what to discuss about. There has been some some interesting development in different creative and art artistic uh, robots uh, and AI. So I thought this would be an interesting roundtable discussion for a weekend evening where we can all just talk about the topic. And then on Saturday at 1 p.m. EST, Dr. Marco Pettini, from, a physicist from Italy, will talk about this paper and long-distance electrodynamic intermolecular forces. He also published some physics books and uh, he's a really interesting and very nice um, <clears throat> speaker and professor. So yeah, and thanks everyone for coming. Thank you, Ching, for being here, for making it today. And um, I'll close the room <laughs> in three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.